We're back, and I'm very pleased to say we are joined for the first time by Dr. Andrei Ilarianov. He is a man with extensive experience in senior levels of the Russian government um, after the Russian Revolution, that is, uh, the Second Revolution. Um, he served as a chief economist to several uh, prime ministers and also to Vladimir Putin, and he knows well. He is these days a senior fellow, I'm pleased to say, of the Center for Security Policy, and we're delighted to have a chance to pick his brain uh, to uh, assess and try to make sure we understand what is going on with respect to this crisis in Ukraine and the possibility of a Russian invasion of that country, I should say another Russian invasion of that country. Um, Andre, welcome to Secure Freedom Radio. It's great to have you with us, sir. Thank you very much, Frank, for the invitation. Uh, I'm delighted to be with the Center for Security Policy and to work with you and your colleagues. Thank you. Let me ask you, first of all, to assess the proposition that the crisis at hand is at least in part a product of the Biden presidency rather than Vladimir Putin's ambitions. Uh, some have called this a wag the dog exercise, hearkening back to what Bill Clinton did to try to deflect attention from some of his personal scandals um, with a crisis in the Balkans. What's your take on how we've gotten to this point in Ukraine, as well as where we are now and Biden's role in all? Thank you, Frank, uh, for um, bringing the most important point right from the very beginning. Uh, unlike uh, all previous aggressive uh, imperialistic campaign that Mr. Putin launched against uh, its neighbors like Georgia, Ukraine, or even remote countries like Syria, this recent crisis that we are facing over the last three months seems to me it has been originated or initiated not by Putin, but by American administration, by the current American administration, which is very unusual. And it is not something that many people would expect and would understand in such a way. And this current crisis uh, over the last three months is definitely organized by two sides, uh, by uh, the current U.S. administration and by Putin administration, with a clear division of labor, with the so-called good cop and bad cop. The role of good cop went to Mr. Biden and the role of the bad cop went to Mr. Putin. So uh, the uh, American side has launched this campaign on October 30th, uh, uh, 2021, last year, with a publication in the Washington Post. And over the next few days, uh, Washington Post have, uh, have, have been, has been joined by Politica, Foreign Policy, CNN, and other U.S. outlets. Uh, for some time, no other media, neither from United States or Europe, did join this campaign. And that campaign stated that Mr. Putin is accumulating troops on the Ukrainian border with the intention to attack Ukraine again, but not with the small skirmishes, but with outright full-scale invasion, which step by step grew to the 
outright big war with the purpose, with the claimed purpose to conquer substantial portion of Ukraine, like left bank of Ukraine, southern Ukraine, with reaching Dnieper River, with crossing Dnieper River, with encirclement of such big Ukrainian cities like Kharkiv, Dnipro, and even capital of Ukraine, Kiev. And now we can see that many uh, Western medias are publishing maps like Washington Post, like New York Times, are like Build, like some other publication. They're publishing maps showing all these arrows of Russian troops moving in depths of Ukrainian territory and conquering this territory and claiming that it's going to be huge, big war. Uh, Mr. Putin looks like decided to support this claim and to help uh, these so-called hypothesis, uh, these, those claims. And he studied, it's fact of life, he studied to move some of Russian troops. But those movement on Russian of the Russian troops on the so-called Ukrainian border is very far from the size that Russia or anybody else would need to have a full-scale invasion, a new invasion into the Ukrainian territory. All okay. military so, experts. Let, let, let me ask you, if I can, Andre, this, yeah, um, this thesis that um, the need, perceived need, particularly after the Afghan debacle for Biden to sort of burnish his credentials, resulting in Putin sort of playing his part in all of this, um, is sort of stunning, uh, I, I think, on the face of it. But also, does it does it actually suggest that Putin does not have designs on Ukraine? Are you saying that? Or are you saying that uh, uh, he does, but he's he's sort of playing a part in this uh, somewhat, well, orchestrated drama with Joe Biden? Uh, this is a very, very important point. Uh, we need to understand that Putin does have his idea and his dream to establish control over Ukraine. That is no doubt. And over the light, last eight years, he has said many times that his purpose to establish his control over Ukraine. It's doubtless. But at some point, Putin understood that by using strictly military means or uh, only military means or first of all military means, he cannot achieve that goal. Ukraine today is not Ukraine of year 2014. Ukrainian army is much, much stronger. The public attitudes towards Putin personally and towards Russia is completely different from what Ukraine had eight years ago. Today, Ukraine is ready to resist, it's ready to fight and is going to fight. And actually, the uh, military operations in the East over the last several years, have shown that the quality of Ukrainian troops today are at the same level or similar level as the Russian troops, or maybe even a little bit higher in strictly conventional warfare. And Putin knows it very well. So for the purpose to establish military control over Ukraine, Putin needs huge army. These 100,000 troops that have been claimed 
located on the Ukrainian border is absolutely not enough for any serious operation against Ukraine. In the operation, for example, in, during the Second World War, for any serious operation uh, on the Ukrainian territory, as you know, just um, uh, the front moved from the west to east and from the east to west several times during the Second World World War. In each of those operations, Soviet army was using group uh, the uh, Russian troops of size 1.6 million or 2.1 million uh, soldiers and officers. Uh, just to get one city, Kharkiv, which is 50 kilometers from the Russian border, uh, the current Russian border, Soviet army in 1943 was using 700,000 soldiers. To uh, liberate Kyiv, uh, the group was about 1 million. Certainly, it was a Second World War. Today's world is a different one. But we have the experience of Russian-Georgian War. Uh, Georgian troops in year 2008 was 27,000 altogether. Putin used against Georgian army his troops of 83,000 which means three to one. Uh, now, Ukrainian army has uh, active on active duty 250,000 troops. 200,000 are in active reserves. 400,000 are veterans from this war in the East. In all those operations, Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian that are ready to use resistance against Russian troops is about one million. These 100,000 Russian troops... Andrei, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of time here before I run out of things to talk with you about. Let, let me just ask the, the, the essence of the question, I guess, is that if Putin were serious about invading Ukraine, he would have to have a vastly larger army. Um, he has a, a relatively small one, still substantial, but nonetheless relatively small one, on the borders of Ukraine, including in Belarus now. And you're saying that that means he's not seriously interested in actually invading Ukraine. He's hoping to achieve certain, presumably, uh, political outcomes, geopolitical strategic outcomes in Ukraine, and perhaps vis-a-vis -vis NATO, without actually having uh, to go to war. And is Biden playing into that, do you think, um, if he has as this ultimate objective, really, just sort of burnishing his credentials in the foreign policy space rather than, you know, trying to uh, punish, let alone actually defeat uh, Vladimir Putin. Yes, this is a correct uh, description. The plan that is being played by two sides at the same time, by Putin and Biden, or Biden and Putin, is such. So Biden is creating the impression that it's going to be a big war. Putin is helping him to create and su sustain such an impression. And both of them are trying to convince or to threaten Ukrainian administration, Ukrainian government, to implement the so-called Minsk Agreement. If they will be, if they succeed in that business, uh, it means that Ukraine would lose its sovereignty. And that is exactly the purpose of uh, Putin's action. For Biden, it is not so important because he doesn't care about Minsk agreement and about sovereignty of Ukraine, but he would have uh, Putin on his side in this regard. And Putin uh, and Biden would uh, be portrayed as a person who prevented 
big war in Europe. And that is why he would pretend on uh, for a Nobel Prize as his former uh, partner, Mr. Obama, a few years ago. And definitely, in this regard, his support, political support in the United States would rise and it would might help him in this upcoming November election uh, this year into Congress. So for uh, Mr. Biden, it looks like it's a, first of all, domestic policy issue, how to get political support within the country. Things go according to this plan. Um, it, it might be something of a win-win, I guess you'd say, for the two men. Uh, Putin gets you know, a greater degree of, um, uh, well, dominion over his neighbor uh, with the acquiescence of the Western nations. Biden uh, is able to claim that he staved off a military conflict um, in this manner. I have two concerns about it, I have to say, uh, Andre, and that is uh, one that the history of these things, uh, notably I'm thinking of the, the Czech um, betrayal before World War II, is that um, they can end up badly when you wind up emboldening people who actually are pretty ruthless and malevolent types, and I think Putin is. Secondly, that um, there may be miscalculations along the trail, uh, that Putin may, in fact, uh, not play the role and decide that uh, this is a unique opportunity, especially if the Chinese wind up, as we were talking about with Captain Jim Fennell in the previous segment, um, deciding that they're going to go for it in Taiwan, and suddenly it's a, it's a game on in terms of territorial ambitions being fulfilled. Your thoughts on those points? Uh, first of all, you're right. This is a very risky game, no doubt. Uh, but uh, the uh, the difference between today and 1938 between Ukraine and Czechoslovakia is that Ukrainians are ready to fight. And I talk to many of them. I'm right now in Kiev, and I do feel uh, this uh, Ukrainian's spirit, they're not going to surrender. They, they are going to fight. And just, I know a little bit how Ukrainians do fight. It would be not possible. It would be not difficult. It would be not possible for Putin to win militarily. It is impossible right now. It is not yet 2014. Uh, Ukraine will not be able to win over Russian troops. It's true, but Ukraine will not surrender. They can take a huge toll. Yeah. Um, and that brings me to the last question, and that is um, Russian popular attitudes towards all of this. Is there any perceptible appetite on the part of the Russian people for a military conflict and possibly, as you say, a very bloody one? Definitely not. But nobody is asking Russian people and Russian people do not have say in that business. Uh, Russia is authoritarian. But is it is it weighing on Putin, knowing him as you do? Do you think that this is a consideration for him, that this may prove to be unpopular and perhaps no. uh, precipitate an end to his tenure, his role? Essentially, his no, no. 
not a factor. Authoritarian regime, uh, and Putin is doing whatever he wants. Uh, there is no opposition in Russia. There is no free press. There is no possibility to express um, disagreement or opposition to Putin's policy. So that is why, as in any authoritarian, yeah. authoritarian this, this regime, brings me brings me back to this brings me back to my my fundamental concern is that uh, he may just decide to do it, um, seeing the circumstances and the possibilities here of uh, achieving uh, a greater degree of uh, hegemony and uh, and power at the expense of NATO, the West, and uh, the United States, most especially. Andre, I hope you'll come back soon. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about here, especially I would like to pick your brains about uh, the impact on all of these things of uh, the growing European dependence on Russia for energy, notably with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. But that's for another day. Thank you for your time on this occasion and for the chance to visit with you. It's, uh, it's I hope, the first of many such conversations. Thank you, sir. Thank you for thank, what you're doing now you, with Frank. our Center okay. for Security Policy. Thank you. God bless. Thank you for having me. Yeah. The pleasure.